What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Overstated NBA Show. We have a very, very special episode. We've been working on this, I think, for about a week or two, but we have our guy, Kyle, Mr. Overstated Kyle. He is a diehard Dallas Mavericks fan. So, Kyle, without further ado, man, how the heck are you doing, dude? Doing good. Doing good. Thank you so much for having me. Obviously, uh, you know, fan of the group, fan of the show, and, uh, you know, it'll be uh, nice to come on here and, you know, Give some of my basketball wisdom to the podcast. Let's we do love it. it, man. We're a big fan of you as well. But before we do this, I know Mikey's kind of running around today. We got to today. We are doing ranch water, original hard seltzer made with 100% agave and natural lime juice. All right, ranch water. Get at us. There you go. That is pretty good stuff. So just to give a little background to people, you are a diehard Dallas Mavericks fan. We wanted to make this kind of a state of the union Dallas Mavericks just to check in to see how they're doing. I know that they are. Um, 11 and 8 on the season. But we were going to, we're recording this. We're both central time. We're recording this around 9 p.m. We were actually going to do this around 10, 10 30 because you wanted to go to the Dallas Mavericks game. I talked to you earlier today. You're like, ah, I don't, I don't think I'm going to go. Well, sure enough, Luka Doncic just, re- just recorded the first ever 25 point triple double in the first half. He had 29, 10, and 10. I checked the score right before we came on. I believe it was 93 to 63. They're up by 30. They're up by 30. Luca's got yeah. that dad strength. Uh, Kyle, I would just like to say thank you. And I, I apologize that you just missed history tonight. Yeah, missed history. Uh, that would have been really fun to see. But, you know, I was like contemplating it today because I had a late night and I was like, no Laurie Markinen, no Jordan Clarkson for Utah. And I was like, ah, I think I'm good for the night. And then Luca goes and breaks history. And this is coming off of a Oklahoma City game that they ended up losing, but I thought was maybe a top five Luka Doncic performance I've ever seen in person. And I mean, he was dominant in that game. He played 46 minutes in that game. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's basically been what it is ever since, uh, you know, ever since he's become a father, he's had two uh, pretty awesome performances. So just needs to keep having more kids and we'll be fine. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So as I kind of said at the top, the Dallas Mavericks currently sit, uh, they're at 11, they're 11 and eight. They're six in the West. They're seventh in offensive rating, 25th in defensive rating, 18th in net rating. Their offensive rating is 117.4. Defensive rating is 117.3. And their net rating is just, just plus 0.1. Um, it, what's, what's really interesting about this team is there are a lot of similarities to the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, I, I would say that they haven't exactly played their best brand of basketball yet. And Milwaukee is first in the clutch. And coming in at number two is the Dallas Mavericks are eight and two best winning percentage or second best winning percentage behind Milwaukee. Six in offense at 123.1, eighth in defense at 101.4, sixth in net 21.6. So it's kind of going the way that I think most of us kind of expected to go like this team is is obviously they're living on the offensive end I think Jason Kidd mm-hmm. said before the season that they're they're fine scoring 120 125 points a game that's probably what it's going to have to be you know their offense is going to have to carry their defense so Kyle kind of give us your thoughts at as we're what 20 games in 21 games into the season on what your expectations were before the season and kind of where they are now yeah, I, you know, going over all of that, I think I am pleasantly surprised with the start to the season. You know, I I didn't have like the highest expectations. Obviously, you know, you couldn't feel worse about the team after watching how that ended last season and having to tank the last two games basically to save their draft pick, uh, which we'll get to the draft pick obviously today. And uh, I think, you know, that 
you, it couldn't have ended worse last season, so it was hard to have like super high expectations. But I did the uh, you know the Southeast preview podcast with Ethan, and I think I said during that podcast I would be very happy with a forty-four win season where Derek Lively looks like a playable basketball player. And so far, they're actually like I think forty-four wins is like a fifty-three percent win pace, and they're on like a fifty-eight percent win pace. So they're ahead of that schedule of four, as far as forty-four wins go. And Lively doesn't look just like a playable basketball player; he looks like a really good basketball player in the making. So you know, he looks like he could be a key piece to this franchise going forward, along with you know the whole other factor of, like you said, this offense has looked awesome to start this season. The defense still is work in progress, but I think as far as like the questions I wanted to see answered about this team, as far as how Luca and Kyrie can coexist, how lively can make an impression in his rookie season, which I think is hard for a rookie center to kind of make that early impression. And just how the team would kind of, how that dynamic would look with those two stars kind of, getting a full off season together, getting a full training camp. I can't help but come away impressed, even though I don't, I don't think this is a contender, but I think it can be a pretty good team and a tough team to play in the playoffs. I agree. And we actually had this discussion with some of my buddies, uh, which kind of sparked an interest in me wanting to do this podcast with you because they were like, Oh, well the, the Luca Kyrie dynamic isn't really working. They should have signed Jalen Brunson. And my rebuttal to that was, well, well, they didn't. Like, you can't go back in time and get Jalen Brunson. And what I also said was, Kyrie Irving's ceiling is better than Jalen Brunson is. And that's what's going to take this team wherever. I, I think that you would even pop, probably agree with me, although who knows? Like, the year that Dallas went to the Western Conference Finals, that was almost like an anomaly, right? You had just a historic meltdown from the Phoenix Suns, and that was just Luca's brilliance that got them there. And even if they do sign Jalen Brunson, I know they have Dorian Finney-Smith, but like how reasonable is that that they're going to do that again, right? I mean, it, it just, you can't go back in time and do it. It is what it is. But I was one of the few people I think that did like the Kyrie Irving acquisition. I think what it would be frustrating for me as a NBA fan and as like a Kyrie fan is like, it, it seems like his availability is always in question. And that has nothing to do with the off-the-court stuff. It just seems like he's been dinged up a little bit this year, so we're not really getting the full-on Kyrie Luca extension that we wanted to see. Yeah, I would agree with that. And you know, he he Kyrie has missed a few games, so that's played a big part in it. And he started a little slow this season too. You know, it wasn't a awesome start to the season, and, but outside of like the first four or five games, which we ended up winning like four of those games anyway, he's been pretty good this season outside of the horrible Memphis game last week. But, you know, he's been really good this season. And I think him and Luca on the court has worked. And I think a lot of that is embodied in those clutch stats. You know, you, you referenced the clutch numbers in this one. And they're 8-2 and two in clutch games. They're sixth best offense. The defense is remarkably improved in the clutch minutes. That could just be a low sample size thing. I don't know. But the tough the thing that comes down to it is, you know, when it comes down to an end of a game, if it's a close game, Beating Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic is really difficult. You know, Kyrie Irving is ninth in scoring in clutch minutes and Luka is 20th. And I think having those two together, that tandem, embody, you know, it looks a lot of like, it looks a lot like what Brunson and Kyrie, uh, Brunson and Luka was, excuse me, when they played, you know, just a couple of years ago and made that run of the Western Conference Finals. It's a similar setup to that offense where, yes, it's a lot of isolation. It's a lot of, you know, one or two guys dribbling the ball, but 
it's still really hard to defend both of those guys dribbling the ball. And it also leads to a lot of open three point shooters in the offense, which is why they're first and three pointers made per game. You know, they they shoot the lights out because there is so many open shots based off of what Luke and Kyrie can do. Yeah, it, it's it's insane. And it's kind of like pick your poison, right? Like what, what are you supposed to do in that regard? And I remember the, um, I, I hate bringing up the Milwaukee Bucks on this podcast, but like I, I <laughs> remember watching the, well, I remember watching the Dallas Milwaukee game and it was just kind of like, I know Milwaukee kind of won that game at the end, but it's, it's just kind of like you pick your poison. Which one do you want to do you want to stop because the other one is going to destroy you anyways? And we, and we talk about Luka Doncic just, to, just to talk about him for a minute. Like, you know, he seems like he came into camp in shape. Like he's, he, this dude looks like he's ready to go and he's ready to take his game to another level. And I think that all fans would say like, if you just got past the constant complaining or berating of the referees, like this dude is one of, if not the best player in basketball. I know everyone's going to say Nicole Jokic. I, you won't hear any argument from me, but like Luca's there. Like he could easily win MVP this year. Like he, he is that type of dude. Like, talk to me a little bit about like the growth that you have seen from Luca compared to last year to this year, and like what kind of sacrifices he's had to make playing with Kyrie. Yeah, I I think the big thing with Luca is that there seems to be more intent to really like. I don't want to say care, but there's an engagement level that I don't think was there last year. I think he got pretty dejected pretty quickly last season. And I think it was losing Brunson and then seeing kind of what he was working with, where it was basically Christian Wood was his uh, best offensive teammate, probably. And I mean, Christian Wood is get. I mean, if you look at the guys they had last year that they replaced, like Reggie Bullock and um, Christian Wood are routinely getting DNPs for their teams, you know, and those are guys that the Mavericks were relying on last season. And you know, I think if you look at what the Mavericks were doing last year, it was a lot of Luca bail us out at big times. And, you know, I think a lot of people were saying like, oh, well, the Mavericks were a four seed and then fell out of the playoff picture when Kyrie got in the came in. And yes, they did. But it was also like a two game difference between the four seed and the 11 seed. And I think that was a big part of it. Like it wasn't that hard to fall back. And they only got to the four seed because Luca was doing things like having a 60 point, 20 rebound, 10 assist game against the Knicks that didn't have Jalen Brunson in that game to win a basketball game, you know? So it, it just seemed like that he kind of gave up on the season and to an extent, and there seems to be a level of engagement. Like people are always going to complain about his officiate, you know, the way he handles officials. I think a lot of it is justified. It can be annoying when it takes him out of games. It took him out of the Denver game this season, but at the same time, like I think there's more engagement on the defensive end this year. I think there's more engagement in, you know, not getting into the the arguments with the officials as often, especially in big games. And so far, the Mavericks are reaping the rewards of that. And I think that's really helped. So you you touched on something in there that I think is very important. Like they had Reggie Bullock last year who actually chose to go to Houston. And he, he's known as, I'm, I'm doing air quotes, as a, as a defensive specialist. And Houston's defense has changed remarkably and he's not even playing. And we all know the Christian Wood thing. I think, obviously, I'm exaggerating. I think he's on his, like, 15th team in, like, five years. But um, some of the guys that they replaced him with, right? We already talked about Derek Lively, which we'll get into a little bit more. But, I mean, Grant Williams seems to be a hot topic of conversation. I know yeah. that he started the year on fire, and now he's kind of come back down to earth again. I think his last five games, you you sent me it. He's um, 
only uh, averaging 6.4 points a game on 26% shooting and 22% from three, which is a far cry from the 15 points a game he was averaging to start the season, 51% shooting and 53% from three. But like, how how is he being integrated into like this team? Because we all know back in his Boston days, he was kind of like the defensive guy who could only play in certain matchups. And obviously, uh, Emi Udoka really liked him. There was whatever was going on with him and Joe Mazzula. He kind of fell out of that rotation. So talk to me a little bit about kind of what Grant Williams brings to this team. Yeah, I like Grant. I think I should start with. I think he's a I agree. solid basketball player. And I think he brings a level of, you know, the, the the Celtics fans are ready to call him annoying by the end of it. You know, I do think you need one of those personalities on your team that isn't afraid of, you know, he's not afraid of anybody. And he will go up against anybody and compete with them. Um, but at the end of the day, like, I think the problem that ha- was having with Grant right now, it is a shooting slump and shooting slumps do happen to like basically exclusively three point shooters. I think like 80% of his shot attempts are threes basic uh, at this point. Um, the, the, the issue I have with Grant is that we signed him to be a starting power forward that can guard big wings. And the issue with Grant is that he's basically just the same guy. He was in Boston. He's a solid, he's a good three point shooter and he's good in certain matchups, but I think one of the big problems that Dallas has run into this season, along with being able to stop guards, is these big wing players have really given them some issues, it seems like. And that's been a clear uh, point of emphasis, it seems like, for offenses to attack. Like I think the two most dominant games I've watched this season are Pascal Siakam and Giannis, basically just abusing that post play. And those just aren't his matchups, you know, and those aren't matchups that he's going to succeed in. Not to mention that we also are asking him to step out and guard guards because we don't really have that guard defense. And so asking him to do all this stuff, and it's just, it's not really who Grant is. And so, you know, I think Grant's going to be a valuable player, but the problem is we're asking Grant to try and be our fourth or third best basketball player. And he's probably better suited to be like a seventh guy in a rotation. And that's where we're at. Yeah, that's tough. That that That's tough. And it, it just feels like that this team is incomplete, but I want to talk about Derek Lively a little bit because I liked mm-hmm. him coming out of the draft. I think he's been a really, really big bright spot for him. Um, I know that in his last game against OKC, he was awesome. That was the that was that was a thirty to nothing run game, right? Or was that? Yeah, yeah, that that was that game. I mean, he's got a little bounce to his step, a little bounce to his game. Kind of talk to me a little bit about what you like from Derek Lively, kind of, and also what he needs to improve upon playing with this group. Yeah, Lively's been, you know, he's checked every box for me, honestly. I, I thought Love there it. was real, like, you know, star defensive potential there. Um, you know, I don't want to go as far to say Gobert because Gobert is obviously a special player. But th- I thought, you know, going into the draft that there was a real defensive stud there. Um, and he has been a def- really good defensively. It doesn't, you know, replicate the numbers, but his defensive rating compared to the team, I think, is pretty good. And, you know, I think... Not only is, you know, the athleticism there and the seven foot one size, the seven, seven wingspan, you know, that he can do a lot of stuff. The defensive IQ is something that's talked about a lot with Derek Lively and noticeable on the court. Um, even going back to like, you know, we were all there for summer league and that first summer league game against OKC, he was really vocal, you know, and I was I think I was the third row behind the basket for that Mavericks Thunder summer league game. And he was the most vocal guy on the entire court. And, you know, that was with an Oklahoma City game where 
I think they had five NBA players on that team. <laughs> and, you know, he was vocal every possession. He was calling out everything. He does so many things in pick and roll defense to cover a lot of ground, which is a lot of what we need because we don't have like ball stoppers. And he's doing everything he can to try and hold this defense together. And it's been impressive. As far as things to work on, I mean, it's still a lot of the same stuff with Duke. He can't make free throws. Uh, the jumper that he showed in a lot of his workouts, I just don't think is a real thing. Um, it's probably never going to become a real thing, but you know, he's an incredible dunker. He's an incredible alley-oop finisher. If he ever develops a touch like 10 feet and in, I think he's going to be an absolute star at the center position. And, you know, I think you can look back to, like you said, that OKC game just last week where they go on a 30 to nothing run and he finishes that game with 20 points. 16 rebounds, six offensive rebounds, nine for nine shooting, seven blocks. And, you know, that's a lot of that minutes against Chet Holmgren and a couple of those other guys on that Oklahoma City team. You know, it's no joke to put up that sort of stat line. And they go on that huge run when it was him, Luca, Seth Curry, and then it was like Olivier Maxens Prosper and AJ Lawson on the court for the, the, that large stretch of minutes. That was that 30 to nothing run. So he's definitely proven that he's going to be, you know, a, a piece of this franchise. How he develops means just, you know, can he be the third best player on this team? Can they be, can he be the defensive anchor, all defense kind of player? We'll see how he develops into that. And, and we all know too, just to add on to that, that big men kind of take a little while to adapt more defensively because that's just how it is in the NBA, right? The game is a lot faster. Uh, the, the game is called differently compared to college, compared to the NBA. But like defensively, I agree with you. Like in the in the games that I've watched of him, I I really like what I see, and I think there's a ton of potential there. And I think that's what Dallas needs more than anything. And you know, we looking at this game tonight. I don't know. I don't know if you're watching, but I just checked it as we were as you know you, you were talking there. I mean, they're up one fifteen to seventy eight against Utah. Like they're 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 going to win, but just. Uh, their, their, their lineups that they're using compared to who they had last year is, is pretty remarkable, right? Um, you know, Grant Williams obviously didn't play tonight, but it was Luca Kyrie, uh, Derek Lively, Dante Exum is getting minutes, uh, which is, which mm-hmm. is a pretty cool story. I was, I was so high on that dude coming out of that draft class and it just, he tears his yeah. ACL and it's just, it, it, it's never been the same, but you know, Tim Hardaway has been playing good. Seth Curry has been in another lineup. Like I think there's potential here for, the Dallas Mavericks. I'm with you though. Like, I don't know how much noise they're going to make in the postseason. Like, if you told me they made a Western Conference Finals because of the brilliance of Luca and Kyrie, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I don't think that they would, but I wouldn't be surprised. But like, what do you in in your mind? Like, is this team going to make a trade in season? Is this just basically going to be the roster until next off season? And this is all about just building camaraderie with with Luca and Kyrie and just figuring that out like what is this is kind of a loaded question that I didn't really prepare you on so I apologize but what is like do you see as like the short-term and the long-term future of this team yeah like I said I still think my expectations and my you know my goal would be a 44 win season where they're in the top six or maybe even seven I would be okay with um I think that would be a good season for me and I would be happy with it the I guess the question is going to become for, you know, Nico Harrison, the GM, Mark Cuban, who, you know, no longer the owner, but still in Hold charge. Weird, by the way, I think I texted you that the day it happened. <laughs> and we were both like, I have never seen a deal where somebody trades a majority or it sells a majority of their team and yet still remains in control. Yeah. That is bizarre. 
That's one of the most incredible deals of all time. That's like selling a Ferrari, but getting to drive it whenever you want. Yeah. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> it's, it's insane. And, he's, and Cuban's talking about, uh, I know we were kind of joking if he's going to make the presidential run or not, but that's neither here nor there. But like, they're going to, what kind of arena are they going to build? I think he came out and said it's going to look like the Venetian, like their, their yeah. new arena. And obviously this is all tied to gambling and things like that. But yeah, like you just said, that is the deal of the millennium. I have just, I have yeah. never seen that anywhere in my life. That's basically a three and a half billion dollar gift or whatever it was. Yeah. 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 And it's kind of <laughs> like, dude, how much money did you lose in crypto? No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But 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 you you were saying kind of like Mark, Nico Harrison, like w- the the goal uh, going forward for this year and beyond. Go ahead. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, it's the, the interesting thing about Dallas is like that group, that brain trust that makes the decisions for this organization is going to have to decide prioritizing short-term goals with long-term goals. Like I do think this team... Like I said, I don't think this team currently as constructed as a contender, but I do think they're a piece or two away from really being interesting and a key piece or two away. So the question is going to be, do you prioritize going for it now or trying to stay patient to the process and seeing what's available down the line? Because I think you could, you know, based on Mavericks history, you know, they're still paying draft picks. They still have the 20, you know, they... Basically, so if they wanted to make a trade in season, their assets are the 2027 first rounder because their 2024 first rounder is still top 10 protected tied to the Knicks from the Kristaps Porzingis trade, which was probably the answer to going all in too early. You know, they went all in too early on that team. That didn't work out for a variety of reasons, including injuries. Um, If they wait and that pick does convey in the offseason, once the new season starts, they have the 2025 first, the 2027 first, and the 2031 first. That if they wanted to make a trade for that, they have a lot more assets, obviously, at their disposal at that point. So, you know, because like, you know, the prize possession of all this would obviously be like, you know, as we talk about wing defense, big wing defense, ball stoppers, like, you know, there's a very big, like, almost an OG Ananobi sized hole in the Dallas Mavericks roster. And, you know, he has the option to opt out of his contract and become a free agent this offseason. So if they wanted to use those three first round picks for a player like OG Ananobi in a sign and trade, they would have to be patient and know that they're probably not winning a championship this year Um, because they don't have the assets as currently constructed to trade for OG Ananobi in the season or a Pascal Siakam in the season, who's another guy they could sign in the offseason for a similar kind of setup. So. You know, it just depends on if they want to wait and do that, or do they want to go in now and try and get someone like, you know, they've already been linked to a Dor- bringing Dorian Finney-Smith back. Um, I think just about every team in the NBA that's like halfway decent has been linked to Alex Caruso. But <laughs> I think Alex Caruso makes a lot of sense for Dallas too, because, yeah. you know, he's probably the best ball stopper in the league at guard position. Um, you know, or do they use that first round pick and some of those prospects to go for a guy like a Jeremy Grant, who's, you know, bad contract, but really good player, or take a swing on a guy like Andrew Wiggins, who might be a distressed asset at this time, you know, do they do something like that? I think it's a possibility, but I also think there's a lot of logic to just waiting and seeing what it looks like in the off season. So it really just depends on what they want to do. So let me ask you this then. Uh, that, that was great stuff. A, a follow-up would be like, who is do you think is the Mavericks kind of core that's untouchable? Maybe there's someone that, you know, would be uh, 
untouchable, but if the right deal came around, we listened. Like we didn't even really talk about Derek Jones Jr. I mean, you even said that he's debatably the Mavs' third best player. He's averaging a career high and 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 points per game. I think it's nine point eight. Rebounds is 3.6. He's shooting 49% from the field, 42% from three, which are both career highs. Like, so he's been really good. Like, it just feels like from an outsider looking in, that's not a diehard Mavs fan. It's like, okay, like you can kind of see the building blocks here. They're doing something. They got Mm -hmm. Luca. They're going to build around him. Like, what do you think the core is, Kyle? Obviously Luca. Yeah. (laughs) You know, he's not getting traded under any circumstances. He would have to basically say, I will, you know, retire if I don't play, you know, if I don't uh, get traded. Um, Derek Lively seems like a core piece right now. And then outside of that, like, you know, they would have to, like, get a real, like, stud to, like, entertain a Kyrie trade. But, like, I don't think he's, like, a franchise cornerstone at this stage. You know, he's, you know, he's going to have two years left on his contract after this season and he's in his 30s. So I think, you know, if there's an opportunity to trade Kyrie for, you know, a really good player, I think they're going to explore that opportunity, but it's going to take a blow away offer. I think at this point, barring a a Kyrie or meltdown to, uh, you know, to make a trade with him, but you know, they do have assets and, you know, guys like Jaden Hardy has shown flashes of being pretty good. Um, you know, I think they're staying patient with Olivier Maxens Prosper, who's still a guy I have some hope for. Um, but he looks a little raw right now when some of the minutes. Shout out Marquette. Yep, exactly. Marquette. Um, so, you know, I think those are two guys they're kind of staying patient on, but I also, you know, I, I wouldn't consider them cornerstone pieces. That makes sense. That makes sense. And and like you said, I think that every team in the NBA, it feels like, is trying to just update that wing defense. And yeah. it's. I think it's going to be – I don't want to go too far ahead, but like I think the NBA trade deadline is going to be very fascinating this year on who makes a move and who doesn't make a move. Like it, it's just – I feel like it's going to get wild. We've already seen it like no, with this new luxury tax and this new salary cap era that we're in like we see just see first round picks flying off the shelves like it's it's going out of style right and that that's going to be fascinating to me another thing i want to ask you about uh, talk to me about jason kidd man we all know uh his first year anywhere he goes this is his third team his first year the defense remarkably improves and then kind of comes back down to earth and then it kind of sort of creeps back up a little bit how do you think the job Jason Kidd is doing this year uh, compared to last year? Better than last season. Okay. I think that was by default. But I think he was kind of handcuffed. Like, like he really had to play Christian Wood a lot early in the season. Yeah, he didn't want to either. He, did not. he didn't want to at all. He did not. I, I don't think him and Christian Wood vibed at all. And, uh, you know, he obviously had that option not to play him later in the season and you know, took that option. He did not play at all towards the end of the year. Um, but, you know, he was kind of handcuffed last season and, you know, he hasn't had the rim protector that I think he's wanted. Um, they've tried to upgrade that position basically every year since he's been here um, on Dwight Powell and, you know, Lively's obviously seems like he's the answer to that now. But like, there are still a lot of things really frustrating. And obviously like going from a coach like Carlisle, who's kind of this X's and O's mastermind, to someone like Kid, who, you know, doesn't seem like sometimes he writes X's and O's on a chalkboard. Um, you know, yeah, I know I, the feeling. A lot of his sets are frustrating. His uh, 
you know, his after timeout stuff is infuriating and was infuriating last year. And, you know, that that a big part of that Oklahoma City game was like there was a huge steal by Shea that resulted in a fast break layup. And it was a bad pass from Luca, who was kind of exhausted at that point after the run. But it was literally a play where like Derek Jones Jr., like there was no screen set. There was no other movement. It was just Derek Jones Jr. starting at the elbow and then running up to the three point line and waiting for a pass. And it's just like everybody else has figured out how to run a play here, except for Jason Kidd out after these timeouts. Um, so that stuff remains infuriating. But like he's really low, he's really well liked. And I think that goes a long way to being a coach in the NBA. Like I think some I think a lot of that stuff is important, but like I think being liked by your players is like two thirds of the battle. And he's clearly really well liked and really well respected. And that's probably what's going to keep him as a coach for an extended period of time here. Yeah, I, mean, I, I agree, dude. I mean, you go back to Brooklyn. Obviously, you had the the, the old guys, you know, uh, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce. They all loved him. And then you yeah. go to Milwaukee. Like, you know, when he got fired from Milwaukee, Giannis was, like, texting him saying, like, do you want me to call ownership to, like, to reverse this or whatnot? <laughs> like, it's very – that part is very interesting. And I think it's – you know, I think the answer is right in front of us. Like, he was a player. He was a Hall of Fame player. He was really good for a really long time, and he's well-respected by just about everybody. But it also seems like it's not just the fans or the media it, it, like watches him coach where it just gets infuriating. I remember when he was in Milwaukee, like the out-of-timeout stuff was just terrible. Like it was either – in here, I don't know if it was just because he was so young, but it was literally either Joe Prunty or Sean Sweeney drawing things up on the whiteboard while he kind of just – sat there right and I'm, I'm not saying yeah. like that that he's not doing anything i know that that's starting to be a normal thing in the nba i'm not trying to discredit that or anything but he's not like the rick carlisle that i'm going to take the the, the whiteboard and i'm the one that's going to draw the play were you were you okay with the fact that the organization decided to make the move from rick carlisle yeah, I was. Yeah. Uh, you know, I Carlisle's a really good coach and obviously he's proving that he's still a mastermind of the game at Indiana. Um so, you know, he's obviously still doing well for himself, but you know, I also understand that Carlisle is not the easiest guy to vibe with and it's a similar thing. Like I say, you know, being liked is, you know, being respected and being liked is half the battle for coaches and I think that was the battle that Rick Carlisle lost in. You know, I don't, you know, I don't think it's on the players to be like, oh, they're prima donnas because they don't like the coach. Some people just don't vibe. And it just didn't seem like Carlisle and the core of that team really vibed and there needed to be a change. So it was understandable for both sides and I'm okay with it. Um, you know, obviously it's just a di- different atmosphere because, you know, he, he was a pretty masterful technician um, and Jason Kidd is just you know, he's not that he's not that and he's never going to be that. And it's just kind of accepting that process that kid is not going to be this guy who's going to, you know, construct this beautiful offense, this beautiful game sort of situation. He's going to be, you know, keeping the guys level headed, keeping the guys cool on the court, except for Luca when he's arguing. (laughs) Um, And he's going to try and, you know, do everything he else to kind of keep this team moving in the right, right direction by, you know, just kind of being the vibes guy. Sometimes, as we've seen in the history of this league, if you're the vibes guy, you're going to be a head coach in this league for a long time. And Jason Kidd, for whatever criticisms that he that he has had, this is his third team that he's 
been a coach on and it doesn't seem like mm-hmm. he's going away for a while i mean you even go back to that laker team and lebron raves about him right as the you know lead assistant to frank vogel and he gets a shot here and it, it kind of you can correct me if i'm wrong but it kind of sounds like excuse me he has the backing of manage, management and ownership and he's not going away for a while unless luca probably wants him gone which doesn't yeah. seem to be the case no, it doesn't. And yeah, I mean, I think the biggest, I, I don't even think it's management and ownership. It's the, he has the backing of Luca and Kyrie, which I think is his biggest job is keeping those two happy and keeping those two to letting those two coexist. And he's doing a good job of it. So I can't complain about that. And I think that there's been better stuff to, this season. I think there's been better development. Um, he's just never going to construct a good after time outplay. He's just not, you know, um, <laughs> So we we gotta we we gotta overcome that for sure because you know we're, we're never getting points off of those. So I gotta ask you, man. Uh, just just to we can go back to Dallas if you want. I'll let you take this wherever you want to go. But you want to talk a little in season tournament? Yeah, yeah. I've been you know loving every second of this thing. I, I thought this was a good idea from the start, and I've you know continued to love love all these games. And uh, you know the those first those quarterfinal games were uh, thrilling. What'd you think? As a uh, fan of one of the teams, I for, first of all, I thought this was a great idea when it started. I didn't really understand it at first. It, it's kind of uh, I had to see it kind of play out a little bit. But people are going to call me crazy, but like I love the different courts. I love the different uniforms, mm-hmm. I, just because I think it's something different. And I think where you're obviously a big football fan, we're in a fantasy football league together. But like it, when people say like they don't pay attention to the NBA until, you know, after Christmas or, you know, Christmas is officially when the NBA starts, you know, stuff like that. And it's very tough as NBA fans to argue with that because like there you could, whether it's load management, whether it's just the, you know, it's the early days of the season, you can kind of tell people are excited and then it just kind of goes downhill, right? Like nobody really, pays attention that much you're trying things that are new i think as nba nerds like you and i like okay like let's see what this team is going to be different from last year what are they what have they improved on what what are they going to throw out a different defense is their offense going to be a little bit different uh what kind of pick and rolls just you know like things like that or how was this new roster configuring and like it just seems like the intensity of the games i know that sounds super cliche but like you can feel it when you either you go there or you're watching on tv like oh like these dudes are trying you know, it's not like yeah. um, some NBA game in the middle of November. I don't mean to make fun of Detroit, but like you're in Detroit. It's cold. Like you don't want to be there. Like there's juice to these games and it's super exciting to watch. Like I think, is it fair to say like the NBA has almost, not comparing it to football, but they've kind of in their own little world owned the month of November where they've had all these exciting games and you're tuning into it. Yeah. Uh, there, I agree. Cause I, I have had a lot of casual NBA fans kind of tell me a similar thing about like, you know, basketball starts in Christmas and we pay attention in February. Um, and you know, the, the, I think what I told a lot of people about this is like the end of the day, like you and I aren't really the target audience for this. No, It's the people like, I think my mom was in town one of these weeks in November and we, I was just watching TV and you know, there is a purple court on the screen. She's like, oh, is that an in-season tournament game? And I think my mom knows like five NBA players. So, um, <laughs> so you know, I think, you know, stuff like that is stuff that is uh, noticeable. And, you know, seeing that sort of difference and that sort of interest. And I agree with you. Like, I think as it came down to those final group stage games, I went to the Dallas and Houston one, which was, I think, 
Houston had to win basically to advance to the quarterfinals um, in Dallas. And you could feel the intensity of the game. Like Houston's really trying to come back in this one. Dallas, you know, really wants to knock them out. And it it was pretty fun to watch that and see that in a November game. And then I think it all kind of coalesced in this quarterfinals games where, you know, you saw Gamebridge Fieldhouse in Indiana where the Pacers were going crazy. The crowd was going crazy. I mean, it was this, awesome. that might like is it not to be like hyperbolic, but is that the biggest Pacers win in like 15 years? It might be, man. And you just when when that crowd was going nuts. And and that's one of the things that I like about the NBA a lot is well, I guess you can kind of say every sport, but I think in the NBA, like when you get a young and up, and that's what's so exciting about the league this year, when you get a young and up and coming team that hasn't won a lot. And the crowd is just so into it, right? I mean, and I also think that we tend to forget that Indiana is a basketball state. It, it's mm-hmm. I think it's one of the few states that you could look at and be like, it's Indiana basketball, Indiana Pacers basketball, and then probably the Indianapolis Colts. But that's a true blue NBA state. And they are yeah. uh, that's a rabid fan base. Yeah, man, I, I think it is. 15, 20 years maybe, uh, going back to – Maybe the Eastern Conference Finals against the, those Miami LeBron teams, but that was like, how do you not get excited watching that? And every game, I, I love. I know it was kind of controversial with the Andre Drummond stuff with Boston played Chicago, but I love the point differential aspect of it. Like, yeah. you're supposed to play till the end of the game, right? You're supposed to play the full 48 minutes. Like, I love that aspect of it. I don't think I have. <laughs> I guess if I really sat down, but I don't really have one criticism about it. Like, I think the whole thing has been great. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. And, you know, I think the biggest takeaway from those first in season tournament games was you could tell which NBA fans like soccer and which ones didn't. Because <laughs> the, the soccer and NBA fan crossover understood kind of the tournament format. And then it took a couple games, I think, for the non soccer people to kind of figure out you know, like the point differential aspect and all that. And like you said, you know, Billy Donovan's going over and like, why are you fouling us right now? Yeah. Um, just, just the funniest thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I agree. And you, you know, those quarterfinal games, like you said, you know, I thought Sacramento's crowd, that's another, that's one of the best crowds in the NBA yep. too. You know, that game kind of got away from them at that, at one point late in the game, but that crowd early on was buzzing. You know, the, uh, the artist formerly known as the Staples centers, that's usually a fantastic crowd too. Um, and that was a really good one. And, you know, Milwaukee is obviously a really good one. And, you know, it's just like all of these, you know, what a great way to kind of showcase the NBA in November and get people engaged with these awesome crowds, these high stake games. And, you know, at the end of the day, like the, the job, the job was on the players to get them to care. You know, if they didn't care, we wouldn't care. And the fact that they've shown that they care so much and like LeBron's having 30 point triple doubles basically. And, you know, Tyrese Halliburton is, you know, diving for loose balls and, you know, screaming and all, and all this stuff. The fact that they care has made this a success because we are caring because of it. Uh, yeah. To, to your point too, on, uh, you know, December 5th, <laughs> December 5th, yeah. we have Devin Booker just basically just calling out the referees and saying, like, you all saw what happened. Like, th- you, you know, that is stuff that is usually reserved for April and May. And I, lo- yeah. I loved every second of it. Like, I watched most of that game last night, and it was just kind of back and forth. And like I said, man, you could just kind of feel the intensity. And I think that, to your point, like, the NBA needs this. Would you 
I kind of wanted to ask you, would you make this longer or would you think this is just the perfect length, just own the month of November, have the semifinals and finals in, in December, and then just go from there? I think it's the perfect length because it kind of is in this like gray area where it's like, you know, football season so short. It's not really like the dog days, but it is kind of the dog days of football season. And it is also like the end of college football season. And, you know, I think it's a perfect kind of length that way to where you don't need it longer because then it's taking up more time than you probably want for your regular season. Cause you still want your normal regular season games to have some impact. And then, you know, it's not too late in the season to where like you're playing a super competitive game late January or anything like that, where you're trying to gear up and still figure your team out. So I do think it is a perfect time. I think if I were to tweak one thing, I think the one thing I would have wanted tweaked is I would have wanted all 30 teams to play the last day of the in-season tournament where instead of having some teams play Friday and some play Tuesday, if it was like a, you know, another soccer reference here, another decision day style uh, kind of thing where everybody's playing at once. And I just think like the Celtics looking up at the scoreboard, trying to figure out their point differential with Chicago as the game's going on. I think that's the one thing I would tweak is something along those lines. But I mean, so far, I think it's been five stars and, you know, I agree. Everything's been great. I agree. That would be cool because the people that obviously play on that last day have the biggest advantage because they know what they have to do to get in. And also you and I were talking about this a little earlier today where it was very interesting strategically how the NBA at first had all of these games on either Tuesday and Friday to not conflict at all with the NFL. And then once the semifinals came around, we obviously had that game on Monday night, Monday night. There was, there was where the first round of the semifinals and then we have the, I'm sorry, the quarterfinals. And then we have, the next round of the semifinals on Thursday, Thursday night football. But you brought up a good point because I, I think someone said, oh, well, they should have the finals on Friday. And I think you brought up an excellent point. Like they almost have to do it on Saturday and have to do it this way because Friday night is the lowest uh, rated night for watching sports. I mean, didn't – yeah, the, the college football tried doing that one time. Uh, they tried doing like the New Year's Day thing and they tried scheduling like that. And it was just an absolute disaster. So I don't know what else mm-hmm. they could do from a viewership wise on how they could change any of those dates. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have like as far as like comparing them to like the NFL and college football, like they're going to take some L's on that as yeah. far as like viewership go. Um, you know, I, I'm not a big ratings war person, but like I do think for as far as the schedule goes, like not only that, but you get your finals like there's no college football day on that game except for Army Navy, which is an afternoon game usually. So like there's no college football that day either. So to me, that's a really good setup for the game itself because, you know, that you can put your whole, you know, sports fans are going to put their whole and undivided attention to the in-season tournament final, I feel like, that day. And that's what matters to them. I, I guess now that we're talking, I would say the one – I want to ask you the, this – why are they having the game so early tomorrow? That I don't know. I, so it like, is weird, isn't it? For me, it? right? Like I Obviously, I'm in Wisconsin and then Indiana. We're kind of in the t- same time zone. So it starts at 4 o'clock for us. But in Vegas, it's 2 o'clock time. Like that seems odd because a lot of those teams just got to Vegas yesterday. Or today. Mm-hmm. They, they just got there today. So like that's just kind of a quick turnaround. And I don't know why they decided to play these games so early. Yeah, these guys are barely going to get any practice times on these courts and these hoops. I I hope it wasn't like a Thursday night football thing. Like they didn't want to start at the same time as Thursday night football. But 
I feel like it might be. I don't know. I, I, I have no explanation for that. So I'm assuming there's something along the lines of that. And, uh, you know, well, I guess, you know, it's going to be give nice a little bit you, of a gap because they got to get teams in and out. What's that? Maybe. Well, it's going to be nice for you because you can watch uh, at least you can watch the first game for sure with no interruptions. Then you can watch your New England Patriots play later on on Thursday night football. <laughs> Yeah, I, I might I might have to relegate to the Patriots to the iPad for the rest of the yeah. season. There so. we go. Hey man, you um, are getting very close to either Caleb Williams, Drake May, or Marvin Harrison Jr., man. It's not it's not all that bad. Yeah. Uh there's some options for us, so we'll be okay. But I mean, uh, you know, how do you feel about your team going into this uh semifinal game? I'm super like excited, man. Thing? I'm super excited. If you go back, everyone remembers the Giannis monster 50 plus point game, and they ended up losing by two on the second night of a back to back, which I was pretty impressed with. Uh, Dame Willard did not play in that game. Who knows what's going to happen uh, tonight? I think Indiana is a fun matchup. I think it's going to, I really wanted to play Boston just from the simple fact <laughs> I want to see, I want to see where Milwaukee matches up against them. I, I think that Boston yeah. is the, class of the east so far although i don't think it is as wide of a gap as uh, people would like to make you think it is but like i just i like seeing where we're at and i think indiana is going to be a good test although i do expect milwaukee to win but i mean we'll see what happens as far as the the west goes it'd be kind of cool if the pelicans got there right like if taking my bias out of my team like it'd be cool if the new orleans pelicans won it i think that this is a team that as fans, we have wanted to see do good things in the NBA. And Zion just seems to – it's always something with this team, right? Zion's hurt. Brandon Ingram's hurt. We just had CJ McCollum with a collapsed lung uh, miss a yeah. chunk of time this season. Like, that would be cool. And as basketball nerds as you and I are, it would be cool to see Herb Jones get some respect, like on a, on a national level, on all these national games, because that dude is just a freak defensively. So that would be yeah. cool. but. You know, I also think from a historical standpoint, it's cool that here comes LeBron. I think we are obligated to say year 21, but here here he is leading his team. I mean, he's got a chance to win it all, like win the inaugural one. Like that's just another accolade for him. Like there's so many good storylines and, you know, kind of like fuck you, Nick Friedle. Like it doesn't have to be all the major, all the major big teams that have to be in it. Like I think, I think this is pretty cool, man. Like I like it. If, if. If you're a fan and you're into that, you know, like, yeah, the the NBA got one major team in there, major city. They got the Lakers in and the rest are really all small markets, man. I think that's pretty dope. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty cool to, uh, you know, see that and, uh, you know, get all those teams in there. And like you said, this Pelicans team, we've kind of been waiting for it. It's been team. It seems like on the precipice of being something big. And now they're now it feels like this could be like kind of that first step. Although I think. Zion is a heavy favorite to be the uh, the first guy to show up to this in season tournament semifinal with the Vegas flu. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, probably the heavy favorite there. But yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see that matchup. You know, I think Herb Jones has been. You know, Herb Jones is a max guy in my book. He's such an elite defender. So good. I think he he changes so much. I do think LeBron's going to be a really tough matchup for him, though. Just you know, LeBron's basically. Like he bulked up at the perfect time of his career and he's just this tank. And I don't know how much Herb is going to be able equipped to handle that. We'll see. Maybe they do some matchup stuff that are interesting. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Milwaukee, you know, you got Giannis, you got Dame, which 
there have been some rough patches. You know, we've talked about in a lot of text threads about those rough patches. But at the same time, like you saw the, that Knicks game, just how explosive that duo can be. And I'm interested to see how they match up with this Indiana team. Like, I think one of the interesting things we saw with Boston in that quarterfinal game was first half, you know, I don't want to take anything away from Halliburton because he was amazing in that game. And it was a special, special performance and a special, special moment. But they attacked him early in that game. They yep. attacked him in that first half defensively. And second half in kind of Boston fashion, they stopped. And I don't, I'm not really sure why. And Dame Lillard's not going to stop. So I think that's going to be the uh, interesting part. But, uh, you know, I picked Sacramento. I, I picked Boston over Sacramento. So, you so did. far, so And what did I tell you? I said, I, I think I tweeted at you. I just said, delete this, Kyle. <laughs> just just to, don't even yeah. put this out in the universe. Fun fact, though, man, I don't know if you knew this, but in the – inaugural in-season tournament history the boston celtics were the first team ever eliminated uh that that will go down in the history books it should be written in stone the boston celtics first team to ever get eliminated in the in-season tournament pretty cool that's poetic yeah that's poetic as as mikey (laughs) is producer mikey is uh trying to get his kids ready for bed and he is just texting us saying hang the banner can't help but laugh at that so let's uh before we get out of here kyle and this has been awesome Let's get your picks, man. Who do you think is going to win this in-season tournament? It, win the in-season tournament. I am going to take – I hate to do this to you. That's fine. I want you to be honest. I'm going to take the Lakers over the Bucks. I like it. The- I like it. I mean, uh, I hate it, but I like it. There, There is something – speaking of poetic, there is just absolutely something poetic about LeBron winning the first in-season tournament. And, I mean – as far as like in-season tournament MVP, I've been joking about it on the overstated page goes. Like, he is legitimately the in-season tournament MVP so far. It feels like he's brought his A game almost every time he had to for this Lakers team. And they've they've kicked some are we allowed to swear here? Yes, you can. Yes, <laughs> yeah. you can. They've, kicked, they've absolutely kicked ass this in-season tournament as far as the group games go. And, you know, they did well in the knockout stage. And Anthony Davis did everything he could to lose that game at the end last night. And I mean, LeBron is LeBron is LeBron, and uh, you know he's continued to do this amazing stuff. He's a cyborg, and I think if you look at the remaining teams, like if we just, I don't think there is a team equipped defensively to kind of stop him. He, you know, like I mean, mm-hmm. we mentioned the Pelicans probably have the best chance, but you brought up a great point. Like Herb Jones, as good as he is defensively, I mean, he's great, fantastic, first team All NBA should be this season. But like LeBron is a cyborg. Like that is a big. Dude, like I don't think people realize how big and how quick and how fast that dude actually is. Like he's going to be a matchup problem for everybody. And I I have no problem saying it about my team. My team has nobody that's going to be able to stop him. And (laughs) Indiana definitely has nobody that's going to be able to stop him. I I think, though, it comes down to probably – Anthony Davis and Austin Reeves, like, is that, is that who we're talking about that, that have to carry this team? And yeah, I I would not be surprised if, you know, Saturday night, the Los Angeles Lakers win the, the in-season tournament. Wouldn't be surprised by that by at all. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, they, they have the ability to get stops on people. The offense is still, you know, very much a work in progress for that team, but you know, it's just, it's LeBron on offense and, you know, a little bit of Austin Reeves. He was kind of their closer the other night and, uh, you know, using those two, using Davis on defense and their plethora of wings they can throw at people. And 
it's an interesting team, and I still think a team figuring itself out. But I do think in a one-off game, that's a really tough team to beat because they can defend, and they have this guy who is just you know makes perfect decisions at seemingly every moment. And, and one more thing before we get out of here about the in-season tournament that I wanted to bring up is you and I really like. Well, I love college basketball. Like I love March Madness. I go to Vegas for it every year. Like there is nothing like a single game elimination, right? We have that in the NFL, and I think that's why. As NFL fans, like we gravitate towards that. Like it's the season is so short, every game matters. I don't really want to bring up college football because of what happened at Florida State, but like that's that's why we love the NFL, right? Like you get to the playoffs, like this is it, right? It's it's one and done. And I know it's not necessarily like that because if you lose in this in season tournament, you just you know, like if you're the Boston Celtics, you lose, you get for whatever reason, somehow you get three days off before you have to play. But that's neither here nor there. But like, it's not like you're done, right? But it still has that kind of magic, maybe a little bit at let, that we get in March Madness. Like, hey, these games matter. It's single elimination. Like, there's so much pressure on these teams. I, I think it's cool, man. Like, I love the single game elimination. I hope they keep it as that. If you're a purist, well, in the in season tournament, you get single game elimination. Elimination, and in the playoffs, you get you know your seven game series. You can't really cry about that. Yeah. At this point, like, I just think you hate fun if you're not enjoying these games. Because, you know, I think the basketball purists have said, oh, these guys don't play games. These guys don't care in the regular season. Nobody plays defense. Uh, That's my old guy impersonation. And, uh, you know, I think like these, these, you know, you've watched these games the last couple of days and they clearly care. There's clearly an emphasis to winning these games. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, the courts are interesting. And, you know, I could do without some red courts next season. But um, key culture. The, uh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, despite all that, these guys care about these games and it's fun. So let's do it. I love it. Kyle, man, this has been super fun, dude. You are such an awesome guest. I know you did great work with that Southeastern pod with Ethan, and I love having you on. We're going to have you on again. To I don't even know if it's going to be to talk Mavericks. We'll definitely do a Mavericks check-in, but just talking hoops with you, man. It's it, it, it's really awesome. And I'll get you out of here with this. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks set the new record for the season this season. They scored 147 points, beating the Milwaukee Bucks 146 points last night. Uh, they won 147-97 to 97 over the Utah Jazz. What? Yes. Yes. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, that that is pretty good. And I believe Luca only played 31 minutes. He, he what did he have? He had 29, 10, and 10. He finished with 10 rebounds and 11 assists. Good job, Luca. 40 points though. Yeah. He he clearly just came out gunning to start the third and then went and sat down for the night. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Uh, that, that was fun. I love it. So. Kyle, this has been awesome. Uh, Producer Mikey's going to get this updated. Hopefully he gets it released early. He shouldn't have to edit too much for myself. The awesome Kyle Grock. Kyle, where can we find you on Twitter, man? Plug some stuff, man. Where are you writing now? What, what podcast do you have? Go ahead. Feel free to plug some stuff. Yeah, uh, follow me on Twitter at by Kyle Grondin. You know, easy to do that. G R O N D I N. Um, I'm supposed to be writing for Hoop Social, but you know, kind of lackadaisical when it comes to that. I need to get back to doing that. But there are some good. There are good writers on Hoop Social. Uh, you know, definitely check out some of that stuff. And then uh, Overstated NBA. Uh, you know, best podcast out there. So love looking it. forward love, to coming back. Love you, Kyle. Love you, man. We'll have you on in a couple months to do a check in for myself, Kyle, producer Mikey, Brett, and I. And Mikey will be back tomorrow. We will see you guys later. Peace. Peace. Thanks, guys. Thank you.